Well, good morning, everybody. Well, hey, let me open up in prayer as I commit this time as we open God's Word together to, to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And God, I'm just in awe of all you've done, God, um, through the years. And I know we, could, uh, we can all testify to um, different ways that we've seen you at work in our lives, God. And we praise you, Father, for that. God, we, we come today knowing that uh, in, our, in our world, there's a lot, a lot of heartache and, and hurt going on, God. It's been a tumultuous four or five weeks or so in this part of the world, God. And Father, we, we pray, continue to pray for uh, those who are in Texas and Louisiana who are still recovering from the effects of Hurricane Harvey and, and uh, those in Florida and the Caribbean from Hurricanes Irma and Maria, God. And just we're, we're grieved, God, to see the devastation so many are living in even still. Father, we pray for the recovery efforts and the restructuring efforts in Mexico after the uh, earthquakes there, Lord. And of course, God, we're just, uh, just, our hearts are just overwhelmed with grief as uh, to what happened a week ago, God, in Las Vegas. Um, God, uh, we're just broken. So many have died while they're at a concert, Lord, expecting to, to just sing and have some fun. And, and Lord, sniped out and by, by a wicked man. and Father, our, our world is broken, and we, we can't deny that. Lord, we put our hope in no one or nowhere else but you, oh Lord. So we pray, Father, for your church to raise up in these places, to be uh, a voice of truth, of comfort. God, I pray that the good news of Jesus would just marinate these places, God. May, may churches be bold with the good news of Jesus, with the gospel, and and God, I pray you'd bring healing and help and recovery, God, to those who are hurting. And God, we think of our own city. We love it, God, and it drives us crazy sometimes, but we love it. And, and we pray, Lord, that we as a church, God, would be light, uh, God, a, a, a beacon, God, here in the corner of Barry and Oak Park, God. Thank you for bringing us here, Lord. We know that none of us are here today by accident. And so, Lord, we, we pray, God, that you would continue to Establish your legacy here in this location to bring yourself glory. And Father, we praise you. We pray that you would speak through me right now, that you uh, would speak to your people, and that your truths would resonate with our hearts and minds. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When, when Jeremy said it's been four years, I was ready to start chanting, four more years, four more years. Uh, we're praying for more than four. It is amazing. It is amazing to stand here today and um, just look around and see what God has done. And uh, I'm going to do my absolute best to not get emotional, but you know me, I'm a softie sometimes. Um, and I think of so many, uh, probably about three quarters of you uh, were not here on the first Sunday in 2013. And there's others of you who were, who didn't know the Lord at that time. That especially uh, warms my heart to see what God has done in changing people's lives out. You may not know him, but there was a church here before us called Grace Evangelical Free Church that started at about 1927. It's been about 90 years since there's been a witness in this corner. And uh, there's a lady who's been around for not all of those 90, but quite a few of those. Her name is Esther Peichel. I've mentioned her to you guys from time to time. She trusted Christ here in 1936. And we have a chance to, to see her when she pops in. She was here this summer um, at one of our baseball games at Bell Park, and she was telling us the history of this area. This building was 
erected in the 1950s. In the 1950s. So we, we sit in pews, we sit in a space that's got a heritage that we, many of us don't know much about. But we know that people prayed here. We know people uh, cried out to God saying, God, let there always be a light here. And when Grace Evangelical Free Church was uh, having some waning years, uh, they realized that, that things were going to have to change direction. And it was in 2012 when they approached our denomination and said, you know what? We barely got enough people here to keep the doors open. We, we don't have enough income coming in to hire a new pastor. We have the savings account, but if we keep spending it, nothing's really going to come of it. Uh, we think we need to close. And they went to our denominational leaders, and they said, what are our options? And they talked through things for some time. And basically what they concluded was, you know what, what we need to do is not spend more money trying to keep this thing open, but we need to close this church building. But we need to hand over the building and all of its assets to someone else to start a new work in this community. And uh, during that same time, I was meeting up with a friend of mine who was a leader in our denomination and uh, just met with them for coffee from time to time to just pick their brains as a pastor. I was an associate pastor at Good News Bible Church in Humboldt Park for about five years, a church where my wife was born and raised literally. And, and um, during that conversation, our denominational leader said, you know, Eric, there's a, a, a church on the corner of Oak Park and Barry. It's going to be closing. And we're looking for potential church planters to plant the church. There's about a $60,000 bank account they want to give to the next planter to help get things started. And there's a parsonage, which means there's a house that the church owns that the planter could live in for free. Are you interested in it? <laughs> it seems like an obvious, easy answer. But you know, it's crazy how God works because uh, my parents live about eight blocks from here. And they moved there when I was a senior in high school. And I didn't live too much in this neighborhood. I just kind of would visit them when I was home for weekends from college. And I didn't love this neighborhood. <laughs> I, I didn't care too much for it, not that I hated it or anything. It just, it didn't pique my interest. And I had an under, understanding of this community that I came to find out wasn't true. So I told my denomination leader, I said, you know what? We're not, we're not interested. So, you know, I, I, we're happy where we're at. I'm studying to finish up my schooling. Um, we know that there's going to come a time where we need to leave, but I don't think right now is the time. And uh, you've heard me tell this story many times, and I'm going to keep telling it until you know it as well as I do. So you can tell others. And he asked me, he said, Eric, would you at least pray, pray about it? And I would tell people what? If you're a pastor, you can never say no to that question, right? I mean, what kind of pastor would I be? So I said I'd pray about it. And of course, went home and didn't pray about it, as we often do. Um, the Spirit of God prompted my heart to, to pray about it and, and tell Erica about the opportunity. And, um, you know, God, God has a way of doing things like that. When you don't know what he's going to do, but you know he's up to something, and sometimes it's scary because you don't want to know what he's up to. You'd rather coast along with what you're already doing. Um, but he doesn't let us do that. And so uh, Erica and I came over here. She was nine months pregnant for Levi at the time. And we began to walk briefly the neighborhood and got back in the car because she was tired. Um, drove around the neighborhood. And sometimes it's the eye test that, si that seals the deal for us. We drove by, we saw Bell Park, and we saw kids in the playground. We saw Locke Elementary School, did a demographic study of the school and found out there's 1,300 kids in that school from a diverse background. We looked at Steinmetz High School and saw there's another 1,500 high schoolers there from the Austin, Belmont, Craig, and the Montclair neighborhoods. 
And then we saw Reese Park and Shabona. We thought about the brickyard. And we said, wow, this, this community's got some character here. And then we said, you know, the big question is, what about churches? So we began to search the internet for different churches in the community. We found some, some great churches. And we praise God for them. And we pray for them here from this pulpit oftentimes. But what we began to realize is that from a one-mile radius from where you're sitting right now, there are 44,000 people. Who, how many of you guys live within a one-mile radius of this church building? About. It's 44,000 people between, from where you come to here. How many of you live in, within about a two-mile radius? There are, there's about 127,000 people within a two-mile radius. And so we started doing the math. Like if there's, let's say, 10 churches in 127,000 among 127,000 people, uh, there's some work to do. (laughs) And so he said, you know, God, um, you're you're starting to stir something here. And so God began to poke and prod in our hearts to the point where he said, you know what? Uh, We're going to put our our, our name in the hat for this opportunity. And so I came to our denominational leaders. I was the last one to interview for the opportunity. Uh, The day we came home with Levi from the hospital, we got a phone call saying, hey, Eric, we would like for you and Erica to, to lead this church here, to start a new church. There are about 10, 12 people who were at the church previously who wanted to join with us. Um, as God would have it, uh, J.J. and Sunet Pacheco had just moved out this way from our previous church, and uh, God stirred their hearts likewise, and we said, all right, let's do this. And God brought Jeremy with us from the same church, and the five of us left Good News and came over here and joined with about 10 or so people from the previous church. And we said, God, we don't know what you're going to do. There was great heartache, by the way, in that separation. Um, I think many of us have experienced something like that in different parts of life. Some of you from your church experience, we loved our previous church. They were our family. And it was scary leaving. But you know, what God did is he put in our hearts for the five of us and even those who I know came from grace were in a close. It was scary. But God showed us that this life is short. Heaven is real. God is glorious. Hell is awful. And that's going to happen too. And God showed us saying, how will you invest your life? Will you stay with what's comfortable? Or will you trust me to do something new? And the question that kept lingering in our minds was, God, can we have a family here? Can we have a family in this place? I see you guys. And I see my family. And I know for all of us, yeah, praise God. I praise God because when you leave something that you know, and we miss, we miss our family back at Good News. But we said, man, God, if you start a church here and people come to know Jesus, then God, it was all worth it. To this day, we've baptized 40 people at the brook in four years. 40 people. Man. And that's what it's about leading people to Jesus, discipling them to follow him. And yes, we know many have just charged and and been so excited about the faith. We've seen some fall away too. And we've celebrated and we've sorrowed together. But we're trusting God for more. It's only been four years. 
It's only been four years. We named the church The Brook because when we walked through this community and when all of us who were part of this formation team, this launch team, we, we came through the neighborhoods, uh, we, we saw with the community, we saw its uniqueness, but we know the same thing that all of us know is that inside the homes, inside the hearts, inside the, past the facades, there are people who are broken. People who are thirsting for answers in life. And so what better answer than a brook? A water source where Jesus himself is the fountain of living water. Don't come to the brook, the church, but come to the brook who is Jesus, the source of all life. And we said, man, what do we want people to do? What do we want them to know? We said, we want them to, to, to participate in white flag worship. Not to worship white flags, but to worship with our white flag raised. We want to surrender to God. That's the W in that word water, the acronym in the, the letter A. It says that we're going to be always on mission. We're going to make sure we want to pray and believe that everyone in the church would know that they are missionaries. You, you don't have to go to some hut in Africa, although God may call you to do that. But you go to the cubicle in downtown, your classroom in the neighborhood. You're a missionary. You want people to know they're always on mission at the gas station and at the grocery store, in the hallways and in the locker room. The T in the water acronym is for thirsty prayers because we know we can't do this without God. We need him. We are thirsting for God to intervene at the church. If we uh, plant a church by our own strength apart from God, then what good is it? To do the supernatural through natural means? No, we need the supernatural. We need God, and we plead to him through thirsty prayers. The E in the water acronym is for embodying the scriptures. We want to preach God's word. I'll talk about that in a moment. But we want us all to know God's word, but to live God's word. And the R in the word water would be real community. Because we want it to be a place where we can be real and honest with each other. We're flawed. We don't want anyone to think that we've got to pretend to be accepted. We've got a mess in our hearts, and we know it. And so God has done these things in various forms. Not perfectly here. We're not done. We're not done with the work. We've got a lot of growth to do. But I was thinking about the ways we've engaged the community since it started. This is pretty cool. We had a open gym basketball here for years, and we still have ball from time to time with men, young men from our community. Let's take Bell Park. The first outreach we ever did was a family-free fun day with food. There might be another F in there somewhere. And uh, it was a horrendous outreach event, by the way. We, we had a great plan in place, and then we started, we had this, hope, this outreach in the community, and all of us were, like, kind of afraid to talk to people. We're like, man, this is not going to work out if we're going to try to start a church. <laughs> well, about a year later, we did game days in the park. We know there's some of you who are here today because of those game days. Now we're doing a pumpkin patch at the park, and we've done it the last couple years. We started a baseball league at the park. All for Jesus. We want people to know him. These are, these are avenues. They're not the end in and of themselves. With Steinmetz, we've had the opportunity to get to know the principal, Steve No, And he's opened doors to, through God's grace to help out with homecoming, chaperoning field trips, and prom. We did a Tide showcase where students got their, their uh, service learning hours through the brook and raised money for their school to put kids on field trips. We started out bringing donuts to Locke Elementary School, asking God for an open door there. And he, said, he sent Edgar Valentin, a, a teacher at Locke. 
And this past spring, some of our RCs helped out with the Beauty and the Beast play, rubbing shoulders with students and faculty. We got to meet our alderman, Gilbert Villegas, at the game day at the park before he was our alderman. I didn't know what to think of the guy because he came up to me after the game day. He says, you know, I want to go out to coffee with you. I was like, great. I'm thinking, here's someone from the neighborhood. Let's get to know each other. We go out for coffee, and he's like, he's super, like, he's on point with all he's saying. I'm like, like, this guy seems like he really knows the neighborhood. And finally, at the end of the conversation, he's like, hey, I'm running for alderman. I'm like, okay, all, everything makes sense now, right? And through that, we've had opportunities to host things for the community here in this building. God's, God's been faithful. About 10 months into the brook, God was uh, bringing another story to a transition that we didn't know he was going to do. Um, Tony and Limati Navarro uh, were leading the church, Kaleo Church, and uh, they poured their lives into that church for many years. And many of you are here today because of Kaleo. And uh, during that time, God was uh, closing a chapter there, but not to say it was over, but to, to merge stories together. And uh, I just... Tony Limari, I'm blown away by you guys. Um, Tony came, he says, Pastor, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll clean toilets. I'll play the drums. I said, we need that. We need a drummer. Um, Tony's one of the pastors here at the Brook now, and um, your guys' leadership made this happen. And uh, two stories forged into one here. Um, God has been faithful, family. And it's only been four years. The first sermon I ever preached here at the Brook was titled Spotlight. And I had in my notes, and I don't know if I actually said these things in my notes. I was so nervous that day. I don't know if I said anything that I planned on saying. All I remember people saying, like, that was a really short sermon. I was like, when I'm nervous, I talk fast, all right? <laughs> um, But this is what I put in my notes. I think this is what I said in 2013. There are many competing worldviews out there, but only one can deliver on lasting joy. Only one can restore men to be the leaders God has designed them to be. Only one can redeem Eve and instruct women to be as God made them. Only one can heal broken relationships and broken marriages and broken homes. Only one can answer our deepest thirsts and longings, and it's Jesus. And so we put the spotlight on him. And then I wrote this for God's, in terms of God's word. I said, the Bible is God's word, which is to say it is his primary means of communicating to his people. For this reason, we keep the Bible as the source and content of our teaching. I bring nothing unique to the table. Amen to that. But only with passion and conviction, desire to make known what God has said. And every Sunday, we will let God's word speak to us. We've preached over 200 sermons from this pulpit since that day. And I hope and pray that you've heard nothing but God's word delivered to you with passion and conviction. Because in this word, the spotlight is put on Jesus. And only he could deliver on lasting joy. And that's why we say today, it's all for Jesus. It's all for Jesus. Well, family, I want us to rejoice today in Jesus. And in order to do that, I want to open up the book of Philippians with you guys. You're like, man, are you going to open the Bible today? Yes, I am. Got it. 
The book of Philippians in the New Testament is towards the end of your Bible. Philippians chapter 3 we're going to be in. If you don't own a Bible, please take that one in a few pews in front of you. Um, just saying those words actually reminds me of another thing. I want to tell you real quick. I didn't plan on saying this, but uh, we didn't have pew Bibles when we first started. And there was a, a couple here in the church that said, you know what, we saw on Craigslist the church that was giving away their paperback ESV Bibles. We're going to go pick them up for you. And they picked them up and they brought them over for us. They were torn. They were jacked up. But we stuck them in those pews because we're like, man, those are the Bibles we wanted. Praise the Lord for it. And, and we used those Bibles for, a few, for about a year or two. And then another family came that grew up in this church. They live in California. They're visiting us. And then they felt bad for us. I got a check for a few thousand dollars that, hey, this is for getting better Bibles with a bigger font. <laughs> and so the Bibles in the pews in front of you are from them. They gave us enough to stock extra boxes worth of Bibles. And we said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to give away Bibles. If someone doesn't have one, they're not going to leave here without one. And so we ran out of those boxes, and we just ordered another set. We'll keep giving them away as long as people take them. Amen. But if you take them, please read them. Please read it. This is God's word. The book of Philippians is a book about joy, which makes it an appropriate topic for today. The words rejoice or joy show up some 18, 19 times in the book of Philippians. And they're the very words that open up our passage today in chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to see that Jesus is the source of our joy. He's the source of our fulfillment. Look in chapter 1, chapter 3, I'm sorry, verse 1. And I might just do this to you guys. Would you guys stand for the reading of God's word? I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 to put the passage in front of us. If you're able to stand, please do so. If you're not, please don't worry about that either. This is what God's word tells us. It says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. <laughs> Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. It's God's word for us. You may be seated, family. The book of Philippians is about joy and rejoicing. We have reason for rejoicing and joy today because of our fourth anniversary here at the Brook. But I know that some of us in our personal lives have reasons for great sorrow. I know for all of us, we've faced adversity and trials, and some of you guys are in the thick of it right now. How can you and can you be joyful? What I love about this book of 
Philippians is that it's a book about joy, but not just joy when the bank account's full. Not just joy when the rent is on its way to your landlord. Not just joy when the credit card is paid off, when the grades are looking good, and when the gas tank is full. But a joy when the health and relationships and life is not what you wish it could be. That's the test of true joy. And the book of Philippians says joy like that can be found in Jesus and will be for all who put their trust in him. And Paul says there, rejoice in the Lord to write the same thing to you is no trouble for me. And he, re- he says that because he's telling them frequently, God is the source of joy. Jesus is the source of joy. You can rejoice. I'm here in prison. I got joy. You can have joy. And he says, and to write the same thing to you again is no problem because I want you to rejoice. Paul wants them to understand, look, no matter your circumstance today, no matter whether you're high or low, the good, bad, or ugly, there is reason for joy in Jesus. And not a, not a kind of hope-so kind of joy, not, not a uh, turning your eye to the real trials kind of joy, but a conscientious choice to say, in the midst of my grief, I can have joy because of Jesus. This is what Paul wants them to understand. This is what he wants you to understand today, family. I want us to leave this morning being able to rejoice in God's faithfulness to the brook and God's faithfulness to us as individuals. And if you don't know him today, we want you to leave rejoicing because you've come to know him. That's our prayer. Paul says in the midst of this, I want you to have joy, but he says, I want you to look out for something, though. He says, look out for the dogs. That's what I tell my kids when they want a dog. I'm like, no, the Bible says look out for dogs. We're not getting one, all right? Yeah, this is like, don't do it. The reason you use the word dogs, in the first century, they're very unclean animals. They look to scrap off the floors. And for someone to associate with the dog in such a way, it would be an unclean thing. And, and Paul said, look out for those dogs. Look out for the evildoers, for the mutilators of the flesh. And you're like, what does that mean? All right? What it is is this. Paul's speaking about first century uh, people who had a Jewish background who believed that in order to be truly a follower of Jesus, a Christian, you had to be circumcised. And you're like, what's the big deal about circumcision? Well, in the book of Genesis in the scriptures, God gave a sign to a man named Abraham saying, all of your descendants after you on the eighth day, all your, all your sons on the eighth day will be circumcised as an act of obedience to me to set you apart from all the rest of the nations. So all the Jewish people, all of Israel, all the sons of Israel on the eighth day would be circumcised. And so what these people were doing then, when they became Christians, they would say in order for someone who's a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, to become a Christian, they got to first become an Israelite by being circumcised in order to then become a Christian. You follow that? They're saying there's a step, there's, a, there's something you got to hurdle first in order to follow Jesus. And this is why Paul's like, I ain't got time for this. Because Jesus alone saves us. He's the source of joy, and therefore this is not needed. So Paul calls them the mutilators of the flesh. And he says, we are the true circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. And what he says is, we're not talking about, God doesn't care about the circumcision of our external bodies, but the circumcision of our heart. Is our heart set apart for Jesus? And Paul says, that's what I want you to do. I want your heart to be set apart for him. When we walked through this neighborhood, 
I told you, we saw the brokenness of our community. I thought, what would it be like for the people of the Montclair neighborhood, of Dunning, Elmwood Park, Belmont Craig, and Portage, and Austin, what would it be like for them to set apart their hearts for Jesus? What would it look like for God to revive our neighborhood and use us as a tool to see that happen? It's this same passion that Paul had that I want us to have for one another and for our neighborhood, our community. Paul says, look out for them. We want to be those who have circumcised hearts, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, who put no confidence in things we've done. You know, a lot of times people in our society lead broken lives for a variety of reasons. Sometimes they're trying to find healing and wholeness through their own means. They're trying to find answers to life's questions by what they can muster in their own minds. And perhaps some of you are here today and you find yourself in that place. You're empty and you're trying to find satisfaction and you're doing all the things our world tells you to do. And you're putting, trying to put all this confidence in these things to meet a need they were never made to meet. Paul says, put no confidence in those things. No confidence because these things will not bring you joy. He goes on to say, though, in verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. This is like Paul doing some side bragging here to set a, set a point straight. Basically, it was this. The Jewish people in the society who wanted the Christians to be circumcised, to become Jewish in order to become a Christian, who were adding things to this good news, Paul's like, look, you guys think that you're doing the right thing, but it's the wrong thing. And all you do is brag about your personal achievements, thinking that makes you right with God. And basically, Paul's saying this. He's like, look, if we want to talk about bragging about achievements, I've actually got more to brag about. And then he adds his list here. He says this, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the people of Israel. That's God's chosen people. Of the tribe of Benjamin. The first king of Israel was a Benjamite. He says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee, which means he was a top religious leader. In fact, he was trained under the top leader of the day named Gamaliel. Paul had some rank before he was a follower of Jesus. He says, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. You want to talk about passion for your beliefs? He says, I was so zealous, I was willing to put people in prison who didn't agree with me. He says, I got reason to brag. He says, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. I obeyed the law. So Paul's like, I have reason to brag. He lays it down. His his resume was pretty good. He's about to make a transition here, but I want, I want to draw our attention to this idea. Is that sometimes we can start feeling really good about ourselves based on our achievements, but we're putting and investing our lives into something that can't bring us joy. So what happens is when that joy from that achievement starts fading, we need more and more and more. And so Paul's like, this is dangerous. This isn't where our hope should lay. This is not what brings us identity. These things will not help us. And then he makes this great contrast in verse 7 with the word but. It's a contrasting word. It says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
He's like, all these things that I could hang my hat on, this resume I've built up for myself, my, my spiritual net worth, if you will, is worth nothing in God's economy. He's like, but I'm going to tell you what's worth greatest things. He says, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. In verse 18, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul says, every achievement I have attained in my life is like rubbish in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. It begs a question for all of us today. What brings you joy in life? What what reaches to the depths of your soul and brings you meaning and identity and worth and value? Let's think about this word fulfilled. Be fulfilled is to be full or filled to the full, isn't it? So when you're at the gas station and you're filling your tank and the handle clicks, it's filled to the full. When you're at your favorite restaurant and you have a bonus check and you eat there, you leave filled to the full. What does it mean for your soul to be filled to the full? Is your soul full? You see, the thing is, Paul says, I counted as loss. He used the word count twice in verse 7 and in verse 8. I count everything as loss. See, what he says is we've got to count differently when we follow Jesus because that's where fulfillment is. I love the kids on their birthday. You've probably seen this before. They open these cards that they get, these cards, and they get like a $10 bill. These kids think they're the richest thing in the world, don't they? At the end of their birthday, I remember our kids would come to us like, Papi, I got $54.38. I'm rich, right? Everything he wants to like, that can't even fill our gas tank, kid. You going to take us out for dinner tomorrow? Because you need 10 more dollars in that. You, you want to be real with them. This is, this is how they're counting. That's their value system. And they think they're rich when they're clearly not. And this is what happens in our society. We start functioning by a flawed value system. And we think that we're full when we're really not. And Paul said, you got to count differently. You can't count your achievements, diploma, grades, work, salary, house, car, put it all together, fulfilled. No. It's a flawed value system that doesn't add up to joy. It doesn't. So you don't just need another vacation, although that might be good. You don't need to just pay off that credit card, although you probably do. But lasting joy comes through Jesus. And until we count even our achievements in life, and go for your achievements, by the way. You, you, you excel by God's strength and for God's glory, but don't put your boast and hope there. Do it, but then when you count it up and add it all up, say it's rubbish for the sake of knowing Jesus. Jesus is worth more. He will fill us to the full. In our society, there is so much discontentment that we see. So many of the things happening politically, societally, racially, comes from so much discontent and sin, ultimately, in the human nature. It's looking everywhere. There's anger. There's a lack of understanding 
There's no grace. People are trying to find answers. And what happens is when society and politics and government and others don't provide the answers we want, we become very discontented. Now, that discontentment is not wrong in and of itself that we feel with different things. But look at family. Government, society, sports teams will never give us all we need. It just won't. And it was never designed for such. Jesus was the one who was made for that. So when you walk your block, when you go into your workplace, you ask God to give you a new lens, to see the people around you with compassion, to love them differently because Jesus has loved you. I remember for me, that was what did it for me when I came to this neighborhood. I'd driven through it dozens, if not hundreds of times. But I never slowed down enough to look around, if you know, you know what I mean? Look around, look at people in the eye. Look at backyards, see kids playing. Go, go into the local store and restaurant. It's when God starts peeling back what we think we see and realize, man, people are thirsty. Uh, I had the great privilege this past week of, of hearing a, a renowned evangelist named Luis Palau preach. It was a fun thing. He's an 83-year-old evangelist, uh, still going strong. And he just has a heart for broken people, a, a passion for the lost. And at 83 years old, he tells us, you know what? He said, the people need to understand this. The gospel of Jesus, that he died and rose for us, this gospel is not good advice. It's good news. And because it's good news, it must be proclaimed. Good advice is a suggestion. Well, we're not suggesting for people to count everything as a loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. We're not suggesting that people turn from their sin and trust in Jesus. We're pleading. We're proclaiming. We're saying, look, there is no meaning in life without Jesus. I'm not giving you good advice. I'm pleading for your soul right now. And that's what Paul is doing here. He said, I count it all loss. When the dust settles, giving all and gaining Jesus is far better than having all except for Jesus. That's what it comes down to. Giving all and gaining Jesus is far better than having all except for Jesus. You have everything but no Jesus. What have you got? Got nothing. Jesus is worth more. And because of that, we can count on him. We can count on him. What does it look like when we've come to count Jesus as our surpassing worth? And this is what I want to see happen at the brook as we move forward here. Well, Paul says it here. He says this in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He says there is surpassing worth in knowing Jesus. This is what I want us to take away with here, family. What does it mean to know Jesus? See, there's a lot of people know about Jesus, and we want to be his representatives for people to know him personally. God is a God who wants to be known by us. And he's a God who knows us perfectly. 
think sometimes we see this fidget spitter here. I think we think God's like this, you know. Just put the world into orbit. Just kind of leave it alone. And every so often, God will intervene in just another one of these, but you're on your own. And Paul says, I want to know Jesus. N- not a God who holds us at a distance, but the God of the Bible who is intricately involved in every fabric of our lives. This is the God who wants us to know him. This is the God that Paul talked about. I want to know Jesus. And I want us to, to hear this, family. Jesus wants you to know him. He wants you to spend time with him daily, to open the Bible. This is why I say we're going to preach the word here every Sunday at the brook. And God forbid we'd never preach, we'd, we stop preaching the Bible. I was telling our worship team in our pre-service prayer time, I was like, I praise God that we can look back over four years and say, God, we still have not taken our eye off the ball, and I pray we never will, God. So we want you to know Jesus, not just intellectually, but to know him personally. This word here has the idea of a complete understanding of someone, and that comes when you wake up in the morning. Say, Jesus, I want to know you today better than I knew you yesterday. Jesus, when I read this Bible, I don't understand everything here, but I want to know you in this word. I, I want to know you personally. Jesus, when I'm suffering, when I get a diagnosis that I didn't want, I want to know you there, Jesus. I want to walk with you there. When I'm feeling the pinch financially, when my kids are astray and rebelling, when my desires are unmet, When life sucks, God, Jesus, I want to know you there. Not not as a God who is distant, who is not concerned about me, but a God who loves me and knows me perfectly. I want to know this Jesus. And I want to count him as surpassing worth, better than anything in this earth. This is what Paul is saying. I want you to know this Jesus. That's what we see. We go out in these blocks, these blocks. When we engage Steinmetz and Bell and our neighbors, do you want them to know Jesus like that? That's what Paul says. He says, I want to be found in him also, in verse 9, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. The reason Paul is so joyful here the reason he wants to know Jesus more is he's contemplating all that God has done for him. Today, you may not know what God has done for you. You're about to hear it. Because there is a God who is involved in our lives. And we, from our birth, have been separated from this God. We, we don't have what the Bible calls righteousness. We, we're, we're filled with sin. And Paul says, I don't want to keep trying to achieve God's perfection by doing good things. I want my righteousness, the only true righteousness, to be the one that's found because I believed in Jesus. And I've said this verse many times. My, one of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What the Bible is saying for us there, and this is why Paul is so joyful, why he wants to know Jesus, is because this Jesus at the cross had a horrible exchange. He got the short end of a stick there. He took your sin, my sin. He took our filth, our guilt, our shame upon his shoulders. And in exchange, when we put our faith in him, he says, I want you to be clothed in my righteousness. 
so that when the Father in heaven sees you, he sees my perfection and not your failure. And Paul is there probably just thinking, like I want you to be thinking, God, if I were not clothed in Christ's perfection right now, I know I'd be condemned to eternal death. But Jesus went to the cross to pay your punishment. That's what we want you to know today. That when you put your faith in him, when you ask God for forgiveness, you turn away from the life that you know doesn't please him, he will clothe you in Jesus' righteousness. And you will start that journey, the beautiful journey of knowing him. There's reason to rejoice today, family. There's reason to rejoice at the brook. We've heard God's faithfulness. There's reason to rejoice in your personal life, no matter what you're going through. Because there's a God who wants you to know him and a God who knows you perfectly. Well, I want us to be about this message, family. I want us to be about making this known. When I first got up here four years ago, I said, we're a new church, but we always want to be about starting other new churches. And we continue to pray. We haven't done it yet through the brook. I pray that God would raise up somebody from here to say, you know what? God's calling me to start a church. I, I want to plant a church, and I want brook, the brook to send me out. If God's stirring in your heart like that, and you don't know when that's going to happen, you don't know what that looks like, but you know it's, it's forming in your heart, Talk, talk to me. Talk to one of the other elders, one of the pastors here. Let, let us know so we can walk with you. And so we're praying for that day where we bless a dozen, two dozen of you and say, go in God's grace to reach a broken world. And until we raise up from among us, we're going to be helping those that are on the same page with us. Today I have a pretty cool announcement for two ways we're going to support two churches. Right now as I speak, there is a church, they're actually probably over by now, that just started today in the North Park neighborhood. You guys might remember Tim Ophis. He came and preached here earlier this year. Tim started the Chicago Gospel Fellowship this morning, a church plant out of Von Steuben High School to reach the North Park neighborhood. Praise be to God. Yeah. We as elders in our church, um, we're going write, to write them a check of financial support in the area of $2,000 and say, this is from the church, from the brook. And we know it's a drop in the bucket of what you've got to do, but we want to come alongside of you this way. So Tim will be receiving that check here in the next few weeks for the Chicago Gospel Fellowship. Beginning next year, 2018, there's going to be a church plant in Schiller Park. I've shared this with you guys before. For those of you who've been around the brook from the beginning, at least from the first year, you might remember a guy named Ben Simcock and his wife, Michelle. Ben was our first keyboardist, and he was a beast at the keys, by the way. Um, Ben is a guy who loves the Lord, and so does his wife. And we've kept a close connection with Ben over the years. And uh, Ben got the call to church plant. And through God's providence, he's going to be the one starting a church in the Schiller Park neighborhood, just near the corner of Irving Park and River Road. Ben's going to be preaching here next month to tell you guys more about it. Ben's a friend of ours at the church. He's a friend of the Brooks, and we're going to come alongside of him as a church, offering our resources and doing whatever we can to see that church thrive in Schiller Park as we want to do for the church in North Park. We're going to keep being about this and make sure everyone understands this is not for the Brook. 
This is not for us to advertise what we've done. It's all for Jesus. And let us never forget or take credit for what God has done, family. So I need you all to leave this place today and brag about God. 1 Corinthians one thirty one says that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. There are plenty of things and plenty of boasting in our society, but let our boast be in God who is ever faithful. It's all for Jesus, and that's how we're going to keep counting to the day he comes back. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I praise you, Lord, for your son, Jesus Christ, very God of very God, fully God, fully man, walked in these shoes of ours, Lord, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, took imperfect sin upon his shoulders and offers to all who put their faith in him perfection uh, in God's sight, God. What a mystery. Lord, we have reason to boast in him. May we never grow tired of doing it. May this good news never become dull in our ears, Lord. And for any who are here today hearing this good news for the first time, or maybe it's clicking for the first time, may they turn and put their faith in Jesus, Lord. God, we ask that you would be exalted and that your name would be lifted high. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, as we rise to our feet, let's rise together. Prayer team, would you guys come forward? And I want us to sing this song with joy, with confidence declaring the strength of our God to change lives, to change communities. Prayer team, you are, uh, they are available, family, uh, for you to be praying with them. Maybe today, for the first time, this good news of Jesus is making sense. Maybe you're aware of your need in ways you haven't been. Would you talk to one of our prayer team members? God is working in you some other way. Your heart is heavy for something else. Maybe you got a big decision this week. You need someone to pray with you. Our prayer team is here for that as well. Let's sing to him, our God who is strong.